We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome back to the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, on the Brooklyn Buzz, my guy, Jack, giving us that Australian flavor. What's up, Jack? I'm very well, Nicholas. We've done an outlet. We're on the buzz. You know, can't do anything better on a Sunday than chatting hoops. Yeah, Jack Jack said it. We just recorded the outlet. We had an OTG meeting before that. So we're Chris, ready to go, warmed up. We're going to talk Nets and their Mexico City trip. We'll talk a little bit Okafor. We did release a pod about the trade a few days ago, so check that out. But as always, you can listen to the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, and otgbasketball.com. But let's get right into it, Jack. We'll switch it up today. We'll start with the latest game, and then we'll move into the positive. So we'll start with the Heat loss. Obviously, the Nets played two games in Mexico City. They won the first one against OKC. They lost the second one, second one against the Heat. They looked a little bit gassed in that game. Close game throughout. The Heat pulled away in the fourth quarter. You know, just the energy seemed to be a real issue. Three-point shooting, lack of forced turnovers. But what really stuck out to you as the major issue for the Nets' loss of the Heat? I think the ability to be able to adjust, Nick. Um, you know, the Miami defense really amped up you know, late in that second quarter and continued in the second half. And our ability to just um, create any offense um, was just, you know, pretty pitiful. Um, you know, we scored 36 points in the second half, and which was our lowest total of the season, 19 in the third, 17 in the last. So there was just, you know, no flow to our offense. And that's one thing that Kenny always speaks about, flow and rhythm. And there was certainly some of that in the first half, um, which was a bit back and forth. It was quite an entertaining game. But in that second half, Miami's, who was known as being quite a, a great defensive outfit um, in terms of their coaching, especially with their expulsion. But um, yeah, we just couldn't cope with guys like James Johnson, Goran Dragic. Um, that they just you know hurt us too much. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, like you said, the Miami adjusted. I think they did a great job making life a lot more difficult for Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like I mentioned to you off air, the Nets don't have a ton of playmakers, a ton of guys that can create. And those are two of the main guys in the team. And a lot of the time, Kenny has to only leave one of them on the floor. So it makes makes life a lot easier for Heat. Like you said, Spolster is a great coach. He adjusted. And I think the lack of energy, you know, being shorthanded with a Trevor Booker trade, Okafor and Stauskas not being here playing in the high altitude. I think that definitely had an impact. Sarah Kustoff and Ryan Rucco definitely mentioned it a few times. So what were your thoughts on the energy level and having to play two games in Mexico city within three days in such, you know, close proximity and at that high altitude that the Nets weren't used to. Yeah. Uh, Demarik Hell made mention of it um, post game. And he was saying how we pride ourselves on our conditioning. We trained all summer for it. Um, you know, you know, it's going to happen. So uh, I, I don't see it as much of an excuse. You, you can, I think they just played better basketball than us. Um, you know, we had a day off in between us, losing Booker, rotation piece. Uh, Joe Harrison um, was out with illness in the Heat game as well. So we were down to, to nine or ten guys, healthy guys. And, you know, it certainly hurts. And there were some lineup rotations that I think um, as well from Kenny. When we had like AC out there with Zella, there was just some some weird lineups that I, I didn't really feel. Um Especially because when AC doesn't, I think you mentioned on your Twitter page, when AC doesn't make shots, he doesn't add much value to the Nets team. So if he's not on, then you know, give his minutes to to a, to a Ronde, who at least can be out there for defensive purposes. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the, the the fatigue factor was a bit overblown. I think the fatigue factor from the altitude was a bit overblown, but I think the fatigue factor from playing, you know, having a shorthanded amount of guys impacted them a little bit more. Yeah. You know, obviously yeah, yeah, they've they've been dealing with injuries all year long too. We didn't even mention this. D'Angelo Russell, Jeremy Lin, Dinwiddie's playing a lot more minutes than he's ever played in his career, really. And you could say the same for Karis LeVert because he's used to being banged up. So a lot of these guys aren't used to it. And I think you know the Heat are a physical team. OKC is a physical team. The Nets play undersized. They play at a high pace. Pace catches up to you. And I think one thing they mentioned too. You mentioned Joe Harris being out with illness. He was still active. Crab had an illness on Thursday night, and it was mentioned a few of the other players were dealing with some stomach bugs. So, and I'm not taking any shots at Mexico City, but there always has been some talk about, you know, there being issues with the water down there and things along those lines. So that could have been an issue for the Nets just not feeling 100% up to the game. But they did get out of work, but they're shorthanded. So not to make excuses, they definitely could have won this game. I think one other thing that really stuck out defensively they did not force enough turnovers. I believe that he only had six turnovers. And at the point of yep. that game, the Heat have the highest turnover percentage in the NBA. So that was from, via the Nets broadcast. So that, that means that the Heat are turning over the ball at the highest percentage in the NBA in terms of 100 possessions. Yeah, I think that goes to, you can talk to that, Nick, with um, with energy. Um, yep. The fact that, you know, being able to force those turnovers, get those steals, um, force those bad passes, um, it just requires energy and engagement. And I think... You know, the Nets, as you mentioned, the fatigue uh, in terms of playing, you know, games quite, quite close together certainly had an impact. And that would have an impact, you know, even on back-to-backs. Um, you know, that's where you're really going to struggle to be active on the, the defensive end. So, you know, we had 14 turnovers ourselves. So that's certainly when you, when it's that lopsided, you know, it's very unlikely you're going to win many games when you, at the same time, are shooting pretty poorly from the, the perimeter. Yeah, especially for a team that, for the Nets really to win and get wins against solid teams, Miami's not a great team, but they are a solid team. You know, you need to make threes, shooting 20, under 30, anything under 30% is pretty much not acceptable for the Nets. Having no Joe Harris had an impact on that, but also guys like AC, who's just been, like you mentioned, he doesn't have much value, and he's not hitting threes, it really hurts the team. 
And also the Heat had a couple guys. I think Justice Winslow hit three threes, and he's yeah. shooting twenty percent on the season. So that's just some outliers. Yeah, I was gonna. I don't. I don't remember if I did Twitter, but I was like, when he made that second one, I'm like, you know, you got to go. There were swishes too. Yeah, I was like, yeah, like it's not like his mechanics look good, and like it it was going in. So like, I think despite the fact, like you know, Rondé made one as well. Um, so if a guy who's not a known three point shooter starts to make them, you know, you're probably gonna start guarding him. Um, I think yeah, defense was a bit poor. Um, on that end, and you know, energy engagement, all those buzzwords can be attributed to it. Yeah, especially for a Heat team, like I said, with that turning over the ball a lot and just not having a ton of great ball handlers, and they were out there, probably their best player in Hassan Whiteside. So yeah, I exactly. think Nets, the Nets kind of missed out on one there. A three-game winning streak would have been really nice. It would have been nice to sweep in Mexico City to help our fan base because you could tell the first game, OKC was kind of getting a lot of the love from the crowd, but in the second game, it looked like the Nets were kind of starting to build up with the uh, Mexico City fans because they won that game. They played with some grit, and they played a pretty good first half just – Bad second half. But, hey, young team can't win them all, but we did have the nice win on Thursday night against OKC, which was kind of a surprise. Paul George didn't play, which obviously helped, and uh, no Grant for them as well. But we came up on top. Solid team effort. And I think the real highlight of this game, though, was the Karis LeVert and Jared Allen pick and roll. We saw a little in Miami, but we saw a lot in OKC game. Yeah, LeVert himself was just outstanding. 21 point off off the bench, 21 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, two steals, and two blocks. He was doing it all. Um, zero turnovers. Zero turnovers. So that's uh, Spencer Dinwiddie certainly having an effect on on that young man. So, you know, the the, the pick and roll, it was just lovely. Um, and despite the fact that OKC have, do have one of the best defenses uh, in the NBA right now, we were able to get our own. Um, you know, it was sort of a it was a bit of a slugfest. No, no team really got into you know, was hot from three or was, was hot from the field. But, you know, the better team, the we just outgrinded the Thunder. Um, you know, the Thunder always look a lot better when they start and when they're, they're, they're smooth and they've got so much talent on, on the top end. Whereas we, we can grind out those wins with that Brooklyn grit. We go hard. Um, and I think, you know, when one guy, you know, might you know have a, a bit of a lackluster performance or get in foul trouble, someone else will step up. And in that case, it was Levert and he was just outstanding. Yeah, honestly, that was the best game of Karis LeVert's career, obviously. I think uh, we saw this via some uh, – I can't remember which account on Twitter, but the last player to do to have that stat line that LeVert had with zero turnovers was Larry Bird. So obviously great to be mentioned in conversation with him at all. And I think that just the overall development of LeVert has been exciting. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the fact that he was hitting Jared Allen too, and Jared Allen was doing a good job of finding the holes on the defense and getting those easy dunks. You saw this a little bit in the Heat game. His teams are starting to have to respect Jared Allen a lot more on the roll because now they know he can finish the oop, he can finish the dunk. So definitely a nice asset for the next Nets moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that we were able to get our 10th win um, you know, so early, whereas last year we didn't get it until March. So, you know, we've certainly yeah March ninth, right? Yeah, March, March first or March ninth, one somewhere early in March. So the fact that you know that was three months later than what it is now. So we're doing well, Nick. So the, the we're on the up. Yeah, exactly. As much as we want to complain about certain things and get mad about the heat loss, we have to look at it from last year and the improvements we're already making and the development of the players. I think that's one thing, regardless, and I tweeted about this yesterday, 
the Nets were to lose both these games, we could still walk away being pretty happy. Karis LeVert has showed a lot. Jared Allen has showed a lot. Rondé continues to look great. So I think that's really something special. Also, it did help in the OKC game. Carmelo did not have a good game. Also, Russell Westbrook, like I mentioned on the NBA outlet, looks like he's not 100%. And the Nets did a good job taking advantage of that. They attacked Westbrook, they attacked Melo, and they got some easy buckets in the paint. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's when Russ is, is stat hunting, which it, it sort of seems like he has been lately in the absence of Paul George, um, it just makes it so much easier for us. Um, and makes him easier to defend, you know, you knowing what, predicting what he's going to be able to do. So I think, you know, Russ um, doing his thing. And Melo, I think RHJ defended him really well. Um, and on the opposite end, RHJ, you know, torched him on some possessions. So, yeah, we were able to really grind out a good, healthy win because um, we were, certainly weren't expecting it. So the fact that we could get one out of two is, um, you know, I'll take that. Yeah, honestly, if I had a guess before, you know, the, the two games, I would have picked the Heat game to win and lose the OKC. It did help Paul George was out, but, I mean, I think we kind of surprised OKC a little bit, and we just played with energy the whole game and kind of gritted it out. And like you said, uh, talk about Rondé a little bit, and I'm still kind of amazed by the improvement he has made in his game offensively. He's gone from being pretty much not much of anything on the offensive end but to being a lockdown mid-range shooter. If you give him a foot in the mid-range from any angle, it seems like he's going to knock it down. Yeah, Zach Lowe made a good point of his progression. The fact that, you know, he's developed so quickly in, in, in one year to be able to do this thing. But at the same time, for him to be a, a really capable player, he's really going to have to be able to hit that three, um, which we've seen him do in a couple of a few, games. Yeah, like, last few games he's hit like, you know, one here or there. I think he, he needs to keep taking it just for the... Just for the reps. Whether he, if he doesn't make it, look, Quincy Acey's not making it. I'd, I'd almost rather right now Quincy Acey's um, shots go to RHJ from the from the perimeter. Just because if he can at least get the repetition, um, you know, the mechanics will come. Um, and the repetition, you know, you, you know where to shoot from. You know how much you're going to move your legs. You know how much you're going to extend. It's going to help RHJ. And, you know, it's, it's going to add a complete other dimension to his game. Because if he becomes somewhat of a three-point um, threat like a Draymond, then it turns him into, you know, a bona fide, um, very good starter. Because right now, he's he's good, uh, but he could turn into a very good starter with a three-point shot. Yeah, that's the must-add. That'll separate Rondé from being a bench player to a starter. Definitely. If, if You know, obviously, he starts on the Nets right now, but, you know, in an ideal situation, he probably would need to have that three-point shot unless you're having a center that can shoot the three. So I think spacing-wise, Rondé, all he has to hit is from the corners. We don't even need him to hit from the top. If he can hit a solid number in the corners, and we're talking 33%, I'll be pretty happy with. Just where he has to get a little bit of respect, I think that could really work out, especially with the guards that we have. And the improvement we saw in his mid-range game, like you said, how fast it was in that Zach Lowe post, in his three-point shot, it looks like you see a little bit less hitch every time. You know, it's starting to look a little bit smoother. We're so, you know, watching it last year was painful. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. The fact that because he, you know, you get the, the great thing about basketball is you get the reinforcement of seeing the ball go through the hoop. So it's like, okay, I just do what I did before. I'll do that again. So the fact that he's developing a routine, like you could compare it to, say, Andre Drummond with his free throws. He's got a routine now. Um, it looks like RHJ is more comfortable. He's certainly not confident, but he's certainly more comfortable doing it. Yeah. I think next thing for him also is if he can lock up his handles, I think if he can get them a little bit tighter, he's a little bit out of control sometimes, but it works out. But if you can tighten those up, because he has shown some nice passing ability, and one thing that he's done this season that's been great, he's done a great job getting to the free throw line. 
his herky jerkiness. Yeah. We talked about this on another pod. You know, he does a great job selling the calls. He gets fouled, but he makes sure the ref has to make the foul call. And some of the other nets probably need to do that a little bit more. Yeah, and that's the thing because, you know, we all, uh, I, can't, I think it might be Kevin Pelton or someone um, has come up with the theory of the fact that, you know, if you're a good uh, free throw shooter, it's going to translate well to a decent three-point percentage. And right now I'd say RHJ is probably our best at it. Um, so I think it's going to translate well into the future because he's good from there um, and he's got good mechanics. So so I think he just needs to continue. Um, we're still early in the season. I think he needs to take, you know, minimum two a night. Um, I'd like to see him put up two a night. And, you know, if he can hit one of them, so be it. If he misses the other one, if he misses both, so be it. He just needs to keep on putting them up. Yeah, as long as they're wide open, good looks, you know, appropriate in the shot clock, not too early. And you know, it makes yeah. sense. You know, there's definitely times where he can take it and he hasn't. So, you know, we just want to see him get better. And then we'll talk about Lavert a little bit. Obviously, we it's funny. We talked about him on the last pod and we were like, you know, what's his ceiling? And we said, you know, fringe all-star, you know, he'll make it a couple seasons. He's not going to be a 10-year thing. But I think think all-star probably is still the same thing. But it seems like he's shown a a lot more to his game just in these last two games in terms of passing, playmaking ability. His wraparound pass to Zeller a few times has been excellent, and I think the way he sees the floor is a lot better than I even anticipated. I always knew he had good vision, but not this great. Yeah, I think the length, um, the the calmness that he's showing in, in these past two games, um, I think it's it's being reflective of sort of without um, D'Lo and Lynn. It's almost you know uh, a morphed into morphed into um, Spencer Dinwiddie's sort of offense um you know he runs it and then Levert sort of comes in and piggybacks off that and he's doing a, a perfect job of it um it's gonna really really help going into the future to have such a wide array of a skill set you know we mentioned that stat line and um, the fact that Larry Bird was one of the only ones to ever do it if you can do so many different things on the floor you're just so much more valuable as a player um you know you're hard to defend if you're a capable offensive player you're able to get in out in transition, which I think Karras has got a great strength there when he shows poise. Um, and I think the keyword for him is being able to to, to use that poise. Um, and I think he's been doing that a lot more lately. Uh, he's not forcing things. And he's looking uh, like a more mature, capable player. Yeah. I think you nailed that on the head when you said poise. In the pick and roll, he is in so much more control. He's realized that if he slows down sometimes, it's better than going fast. Because, you know, yeah. he's he's done a great job, and he's always done this in the past, is getting his defender off balance. But in the past, he's kind of not known what to do, and he's getting himself in trouble. Now he's starting to realize the situation, get a better feel for the team and understanding where everyone's at. And like you said, that length and the ability to see over players, I think, is really helping him. And I'm really excited to see what uh, D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert, you know, backcourt could be like because – it feels like they're going to complement each other so well with the fact that Lavert has that playmaking ability and it can let D'Lo be more of a natural scorer that he likes to be. Yeah, I think it's going to work uh, tremendously for us. And we mentioned in the last pod, Nick, the fact that, you know, having a guy like a Spencer Dinwiddie who is just so capable and so calm and, you know, almost complements uh, D'Lo to a T. Um, and Karras does as well. They all, it's just a perfect trio. So uh, it's going to be very exciting for when D'Lo does come back. But, you know, there's no timetable on his return yet, uh, but, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. And like I think you mentioned, it, it looked like it would probably be a few months when you did the research on the injury. I think uh, you we touched on this a little bit, but Quincy Acey has been harsh. You know, his minutes have been bad. He has not looked confident. You know, 
when he's shooting his three, he has that impact on the floor, spacing the floor. But right now, if he doesn't look confident, he doesn't even want to shoot the three ball. It's a hesitation. He has sloppy handles. He tries to drive. He gets himself in trouble. It's just a real mess out there. What do you think the Nets need to do about that? Should they talk to AC, try to figure that out, or they should try to find a way to give his minutes elsewhere? I think it's it's going to be situational, Nick. If we have, um, you know, adding in a guy like a Nick Stauskas and, and, and Jaleel Okafor, um, naturally his minutes are going to go down. And I think Quincy knows that. He knows that he isn't um, a key part of of the next uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn championship. So I think he's understanding of that, sort of like, you know, Trevor Booker in the sense. You know, he wasn't upset at all by the trade. Um, he showed great character, and we know that's, that is what he is. Um Quincy just needs to realize that he's going to have his moments um, and he's also going to have his bad moments. Um, I think, you know, he needs to continue to have the confidence. Um, I think it doesn't help when the team as a whole um, is shooting so poorly because, you know, you're not going to really go to Quincy AC for a, a step back bucket or just like a, a hot three when you need it. Like, you know, you go to Spencer or, or Crab or, or Joe for that. Um, so I think, you know, the team as a whole from the perimeter is, is reflective of, of Quincy's recent struggles. So hopefully, you know, he can improve and the team can improve with it. Yeah. I think uh, obviously with Booker, you know, losing minutes at the four, I think the Nets probably are going to have to do something where they play Jared Allen a little bit more at the four. We, we saw, saw that. that a little, yeah. We saw it a little bit last night. I think it definitely could work because they played Booker and Allen together and Okafor has a little bit more offensive skill set. Obviously we're still kind of waiting to see on that Jared Allen three, also, one thing I wouldn't mind, this depends on the play of Stauskas and also, you know, getting maybe Joe Harris some more minutes, playing Damari Carroll a little bit more at the four. Yeah. Harris or Crab a little bit more. Then when D'Angelo's back, it'll all kind of work out. I, I envision that a little bit more going to the season. I thought it would be more Carroll at the four. We've seen him more at the three, but I think at the four later in the season, spacing-wise, it could really work out because he's a tough guy, and it's obviously he's getting up there in age, so having a slower guy to defend might help him a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, alongside if, you know, you're playing him in Okafor, they could develop a nice little tandem there because, you know, Damari's he's no scrub from the three-point uh, from the three point arc. Exactly. So, um, I think that's for spacing purposes, which um, you're a huge fan of, Nick. I think it certainly works. And, you know, Jared and, and Okafor, that's, you know, despite the fact that both of them aren't, you know, amazing perimeter shooters, we know we, we raved about uh, Jared's first three-pointer the other night, but, you know, the fact that it's two young foundational pieces that could turn into something really exciting. Um, I'd, I'd much rather see Okafor and Allen than, you know, Okafor and Mozgov or Okafor uh, and Zella uh, or, or, or Mozgov and uh, and Allen. You know, you want to see the young guys getting the reps. Um, no hate, though, for Tyler Zeller because he's been doing some really nice things lately, especially in the pick and roll, as we mentioned before with Levert and Allen, uh, him and Dinwiddie especially. Yeah, he's been a true professional. I don't think you'll be able to play Moskov, Okafor, Zeller together at any points. So I think Allen's going to have to probably play more minutes at the four, which could hurt the team. I would love to see a lineup at some point in the future, maybe a Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Allen Crabb, Damari Carroll, whoever you want to throw in at center, maybe Jared Allen, Okafor, whoever. I think spacing-wise, that's some really good three-point shooting, having Dinwiddie, Harris, Crabb, and Carroll. And I would probably maybe throw Allen out there to kind of tighten up the D a little bit too. That would be fun to watch. Definitely. And I think with the fact that we've got, um, you know, extra bodies now, um, our rotations were limited in Mexico just purely because of the fact of, of injuries and the trade. So with, you know, the, the incoming uh, of Okafor and Stauskas, it's certainly going to help 
with our rotations and with our experimentation that we are, we're all for because, you know, we're projected to win about 35 games this year. And um, if we can, you know, get some good play out of, uh, out of a lot of players and, you know, turn them into assets or, you know, to turn them into prospect pieces, then, you know, that's going to be all for the benefit of, of the team as a whole. Exactly. So any, any improvement is a benefit and we're still going to be getting back one of our young studs. Like we said, D'Angelo soon, I'm really excited to see Okafor play. Uh, we really don't know exactly when he's going to be his first game or how much minutes he's going to play in his first game, but we'll see what happens. I expect to see him a little bit Tuesday, but I don't know for how long. I love that he picked the number four, Nick. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It, the, yeah, pun, yeah, it is. the man, the man who me, who loves the shitty dad jokes. It's just, it's perfect. Like, it's it's gonna work so much wonders for the Brooklyn Buzz, and if you're not a fan of of shitty dad humor, then I would tune out very soon because we are going to be doing some me personally. I'm going to be doing some horrible <laughs> puns about Jaleel, um, and hopefully, um, I, I'm ex- I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, if if I were in in Brooklyn, uh, if it's a home game, and if I were over there, I'd certainly go and check it out. But um, hopefully, a lot of our fans can. Yeah, definitely. I'm pumped to see it, and we'll see what happens. And uh, as always, you can listen to the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, and OTGBasketball.com. Thank you for hopping on, Jack. And as always, thank everybody for listening, and have a great night. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.